Galatians chapter 3, really what we have here in the second part of Galatians chapter 3 is some uh, top shelf truths here. And so it's, I'm not going to be able to uh, really get through the whole thing today. Uh, we may take two or three Sundays uh, to really unpack what Paul has for us. And so this is really just going to be part one. And so you, know, you can see I've entitled this message, God's Unconditional Promise. And uh, we'll, we'll talk about why uh, that is and uh, what Paul is about to do. He's going to start to compare in the next part of Galatians chapter 3. He's going to begin to compare an unconditional uh, promise with a conditional promise. Or we could say a unconditional covenant with a conditional covenant. And so... And if, if, you, if uh, you've been studying with us here in Galatians chapter 3, uh, you probably already know where Paul's going to go with that. Uh, but because uh, those are kind of some top shelf ideas, uh, we're going to take a little bit uh, longer to really uh, dig through and unpack some of those truths. Uh, but we do want to go ahead and uh, start here in Galatians chapter 3 in verse 13. And I'll have you stand out of respect for God's word. And we'll just read just a couple of verses, three or four verses uh, today as we get started. This is again Galatians chapter 3, starting in verse 13, and it says this. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree. So that in Christ Jesus, the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles so that we might, might receive the promised spirit through faith to give a human example, brothers, even a man-made covenant. No one annuls it or adds to it un, uh, once it has been ratified. All right, let's go ahead and stop there. We'll ask the Lord's blessing upon our time. Lord, we do thank you for allowing us to gather together the first day of the week to be able to uh, remember what you have done for us and, and, and be able to celebrate uh, baptism, which is a picture of what you have done for us. And so, Lord, as we begin to unpack this idea of an unconditional promise, uh, we do pray that maybe there would be someone here today that has never started a relationship with you. And so I do pray that you would use the word of God in our hearts today as we think about this unconditional promise. As well as, Lord, for those of us that are Christians, uh, we pray that we would be sharing this promise with others, that we would uh, see others uh, come to Christ, their life change, that they would uh, be obedient in baptism, as we will see uh, three people are today, and that uh, you would just continue to use us as Christians, us as a church, to be a shining light into our communities. So thank you, Lord, for using us in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Now, this is the first time that Paul uses the word covenant in verse chapter 15. But it's not the last time he is going to use that idea of a covenant or a promise. He's going to continue to use that throughout uh, chapter 3 and into the second part of chapter 4. And so I thought it would be good for us to really stop this morning and ask the question, what is a covenant? And so really we need to understand what the term covenant is. And so my, my very first question today is, what is a covenant? Now, a covenant is an arrangement between two parties 
um, involving mutual obligations. That's what a covenant is. And so let me give you an illustration. Paul actually gives us an illustration uh, of, of a covenant and, and uh, how a covenant works uh, there in verse 15. And I also want to give us an illustration of a covenant because that's not maybe a familiar word to us when we begin to think about what a covenant is. But did you know that if you are married here today that you joined into a covenant? You joined into a covenant with your spouse. And so there was a promise that was made right before you slipped on that ring and you said, there's something that I promise you, I vow. Matter of fact, I got this um, off of uh, Martha Stewart's website um, for, for wedding vows. And so people still use these today. Um, me and my wife use something very similar to this. But this is a traditional uh, wedding vow and it says this. In the name of God, I blank, I, John, take you, Brooke, that would be my wife, to be my, uh, to be, be my wife slash husband, to have, to hold from this day forward for better, for worse, for richer, for poor, for sickness, and in health, to love and to cherish until parted by death. This is my solemn vow. Or we could say, this is my promise to you. And so really, when we join into a marriage, when we join into marriage with, with another party, we're actually making a covenant. We're making a promise. And that promise is to be an unconditional promise. Matter of fact, that's what that wedding vow says there. Uh, just a reminder for us that maybe have been married for a while, uh, it says, for better or for worse, richer or for poor. That is, in the good days and the bad days, whether we are financially sound or we are not financially sound, um, that uh, until really death departs us, uh, we're going we're gonna to keep this. That is my promise. And so there is a covenant that, if you're married here today, uh, there was a covenant that you um, came into. Of course, we know today, uh, oftentimes, uh, the world's, um, and sometimes even Christians, uh, we don't see marriage as a, an unconditional covenant. Uh, sometimes we see marriage as a conditional covenant. If you do this and, and I do this, then we'll stay married. And sometimes when divorce happens these days, it's because one or maybe both parties, they, they entered into a covenant with their spouse and they were expecting someone to do one thing and then they didn't do that thing. And so then there is a there's a separation of that covenant. But really, uh, for marriage, it should be a, an unconditional covenant. Uh, that is uh, the vow that we are making um, as we get married. Now, let me give you another illustration of an unconditional uh, covenant. Uh, oftentimes, when someone passes away, uh, they will leave a will or, or a trust. And so when they leave a will, normally they're giving uh, either uh, their family or their friends things, or maybe it's giving them money, or maybe it's even giving them property. And normally there's no stipulation. It's not if you, I'll give you this money if you do these things. Instead, normally it's just giving them money or giving them property. And so that would be an unconditional covenant. So those are two illustrations of unconditional promises. An unconditional covenant is an agreement between two or more parties that involves no requirements of any kind for fulfilling of the agreement. If I said, and uh, I've done this uh, in the past, 
Unfortunately, I have zero monies in my wallet today. But let's say that I had a $10 bill, and I said, who would like this $10 bill? And uh, everybody said, well, I would, and really it would be the person that takes that $10 bill that would receive that gift. And I wouldn't say, well, I'll give you that $10 if you cut my lawn. No, it's an unconditional uh, gift. And that's really what the Lord has given to us. He's given us an unconditional gift, a free gift the Bible talks about. Now let's talk about the other side of, of what we see in the Bible. So we see unconditional promises, and we also see conditional covenants or conditional promises. And uh, we see that actually in the Old Testament law. And so we've been talking about this for several weeks now. But God gave Israel law, and he said, I will bless you. He already determined in his heart that he was going to bless Israel. He wanted to bless Israel. Israel was part of God's people. So he had already determined he's going to bless Israel. But he said, there is this line here, and he gave them the Ten Commandments, and he said, as long as you do these things and you do these regular sacrifices to cover your sins, you will continue to live in my blessing. But if you go outside of these things and you don't, uh, and you don't do those regular um, sacrifices, uh, then there will be judgment. And so that is an illustration from God's word that would be in a conditional promise. I promise to bless you as long as you do these things. Now, in the world today, here's an example. During COVID, uh, many people started to invest in their homes. They, they hired contractors to be able to redo their kitchens or uh, to make their home bigger, or sometimes people also hired landscapers. And of course, whenever you hire someone for a project, uh, normally you always ask the question, how much is it going to cost? And so we're all concerned about, well, how much is this? This is what I want, but how much is this going to cost me? And normally when you are hiring a um, maybe, um, I don't know, someone to do a job, normally there's some type of contract that's associated with that. So it works kind of like this. I will pay you, that's the condition, I will pay you this if you do that. That's the other side of the condition. And so that is a conditional covenant or a conditional promise. And so this conditional contract or covenant, a conditional contract or a conditional covenant is an agreement between two or more parties that requires certain terms to be met. If the terms are not met, there will be one kind of result. All right, I'm sorry. If the term is met, there will be one kind of result, which is favorable. If the term is not met, there will be a different result, which is an unfavorable result. And maybe you have come across this um, in your own lives where maybe you hired someone to do a job and they never finished the job. So you had to stop working with them in that contract and start a new contract with someone else to come in and finish the job. And so that is uh, something that we don't like to go through. I'm sure that's not something that um, a, a, uh, a contractor or landscaper likes to go through. And so uh, when we keep our side of the bargain, things go better. And, of course, that could come from the home side as well, is if we're not paying our contractor or a landscaper, then the contract is broken and he doesn't finish the job if we don't uh, pay him uh, what is rightfully his. So we do see these two types of covenants 
uh, in the Bible. All right. Now, again, Paul is about to really explore these two things and talk about how we are connected to Christ and how we are connected to Abraham. All right. And so we're not going to get into all of that quite this morning. That is really all uh, top shelf ideas. Um, but God or, or Paul is going to start to talk about, first of all, that Abrahamic covenant, one of those two types of covenants. And we see that starting in verse eight. So, again, this is Galatians chapter three, where we are this morning, starting in verse eight. And it says this, the scripture foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying, in you shall all the nations be blessed. Now, this is part of the Abrahamic covenant. This was an unconditional promise that God made to Abraham. All right. And uh, we're, let's go ahead and we're going to look back. This is from Genesis chapter 12. If you'd like to flip there, hold your place there in uh, Galatians chapter 3. We're going to look at just four verses in Genesis chapter 12. But in Genesis, Genesis chapter 12, we see this um, Abrahamic covenant, this promise that God made to Abraham. And so notice there in verse 1, and this is what the Lord says. And the Lord said to Ab Abram, that's, uh, he changed his name later on, but this is Abraham. Abram is the same guy. And the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house, the land I will show you. And so the very first thing that God said is trust me. And then he goes on to say this, and I will make for you a great nation. And I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and him who dishonors you. I will curse and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So Abraham went as the Lord told him and lot with him. And a um, Abram was 75 years old when he departed from Haran. So God gave Abraham a promise. It was an unconditional promise. There was no strings attached. It was not, if you do these things, you will be blessed. Instead, God just told Abraham, I'm going to bless you. And all Abraham had to do was believe God. That's all he had to do. I believe you will fulfill what you have told me you will do. And so all he had to do was trust God. All he had to do was believe God. And so that is, an un, that is a unconditional promise because it wasn't, well, Abraham, if you do these things, then I will bless you. Instead, it was just a determination on God's part to bless Abraham. Now, as we kind of stop and we think about the Abrahamic covenant, of course, we know in, in the world today, there's some things happening in, in the news with, with Israel that, that really is, is some sad uh, news. And, of course, Israel has gone through many uh, sad points uh, through their history and I shouldn't just say Israel. Uh, there are people there in Palestine that's also going through some, some uh, hard times as well. And so really, as, as Christians, we need to realize that really we are connected uh, to Abraham. We are connected to Israel because Jesus Christ was a Jew. And, and Paul is about to get into that, and we're not going to get into it this morning. But really, our faith is connected to 
Abraham and God's people Israel. And so if you haven't uh, started praying about what's happening uh, right now with, with Israel and some of the things that are happening in that, that area of the world, I encourage you to uh, pray, uh, pray about those things. Um, somebody said, I guess uh, Scott said, uh, some of the uh, end time things. And, and really, we don't know exactly when um, the end will be. But the Bible says this, it's next. So that means that it could be today, it could be tomorrow, it could be next week, it could be next month. It could be before 2024. We don't really know. But for sure, some of the things that are happening in the world, especially with COVID and some of the now things that are happening with Israel, seem to give us some indication that um, maybe the Lord is coming back soon. And of course, we do know this, because we don't know when he'll come back, but we do know this. Every day that passes is a day closer to Christ's return. If you think about an hourglass, and uh, if you've ever seen an hourglass, and, and normally the sand is at the top, and it begins to run through to the bottom, and every day that passes is like a, pa- a, 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 a grain of that sand passing to the bottom, but eventually that top hourglass will be emptied out, and Christ will return. And really the Bible points to the fact that when will Christ return? When the last person is to be saved. When's the last person to be saved? I don't know. Only Christ uh, knows that. So really when we think about Israel and we think about this covenant, that we ought to be praying for God's people. So God gave Abraham an unconditional covenant, one that all he had to do was accept it by faith. That is God's grace. Grace is when God gives us something that we don't deserve. And that's exactly what God did with Abraham. All right, so Abraham, he did not earn this covenant. There wasn't something that that he did and God said, you know what, because you did these things, I'm going to do this. Instead, really, God wanted a people that would worship him. And so God established a nation, Israel, a people to worship the one true God. And so God just decided through his grace to choose Abraham. But you know, God's grace has also been extended to us. And so as we think about this idea of an unconditional promise or an unconditional covenant or, or this idea of grace, there was something that was given to Abraham that was free. He didn't have to earn it. He didn't have to keep it. All he had to do was believe it. And the same thing is true for us as Christians. We don't earn salvation and we don't keep salvation. All we do is we believe what God said. And so that's what we want to spend the rest of our time on, this unconditional promise that God has made to us. And the very first thing that we need to understand about this unconditional promise is revealed in God's word, and that is the fact that God is holy. That means that God is completely pure and he cannot tolerate sin. And so when you think about uh, oil and water, and we've done this science project in, in school, when you mix oil and water, they immediately separate. And so really when you think about God, God is always separate from sin. Matter of fact, the Bible says he is light and in him is no darkness at all. 
Matter of fact, as you think about light, light always overcomes darkness. And so there's no way that God could have fellowship with sin because God is light. He is holy. And so God is holy. But that puts us in a bad position because we realize, and the Bible talks about it, the fact that we are sinners. And so here we have a God who is holy, but then the Bible talks about on this side that we are sinners. And so this is what Paul says. This is Romans 3, 10 and 11. As it is written, none is righteous, no, not one. Now, we may think into ourselves that we do righteous acts, but the Bible says none is righteous, no, not one. No one understands, no one seeks for God. And then a little bit later on, Paul says this, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And so he didn't leave any, any room for God's people, Israel, because they, they did think to themselves, I am doing all of these things, and so I am right with God. And, and Paul says, no, actually, we are all sinners. It doesn't matter if you're a Jew or a Gentile. It doesn't matter if you had the law prior, previously or you try to follow the law. We're all sinners. And really, as Paul has been talking the law shows us that we are sinners. And so God is holy. We are created for God's glory, but we fall short of that purpose because of our sin. And so God is holy and he cannot tolerate our sin because he is perfect and pure. We also learn, as we begin to learn more about who God is, that God is just. This means that he always judges based upon the facts that he has. Now, I know in our own lives, we can um, maybe fool our, if you're a kid here today, maybe we fool our parents, or maybe we fool our spouse, or maybe our friends, or our family, or our relatives. Uh, We can oftentimes act the right way with really having the wrong heart. But that's not something that we can hide from God. And so when God looks at us, he sees all the facts of our life. And the Bible says that he is just. And so what does that mean? That is, if we, if we, I'm going to give a, um, an illustration from the world today. If we think about a just judge. And so if we had a just judge and all of the evidence, he has all of the facts, all of the video, all of the testimonies. The person has even admitted that they did it. He has all the facts. And if that judge did this, well, you know, I just feel really sorry for you. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to let you off for free. If that happened today, there would be an uproar because that judge is not just. Matter of fact, if that judge said, you know what, I'm going to let you off because you're my brother or because you're my sister, and he gave some type of favoritism to that person because he loved them, we would be up in arms and say, that is not fair, that is not just. Because a judge should always take all the evidence they have And they should make a verdict based upon the evidence they have. And we need to remember that God has all of the evidence. So it's not based upon whether or not it's fair or unfair. 
God does not make a judgment based upon whether he thinks it's fair or unfair. Instead, he's a perfect judge. He makes a judgment based upon the facts. So that puts us in a bad position as well. Because we find out that God is holy and he cannot tolerate sin. We also find out that God is just, which means he cannot overlook our sin. If he did, he would be an unjust God. And that's not who God is. And of course, if that is all that God was, if he was only holy and he was only just, he would still be a good God. But we would be in a very bad position. But... God is not only just, and he is not only holy. The Bible also reveals to us that God is loving. God has provided a way for us to once again join into a relationship with him. The faith that makes us right with God is what Paul has been talking about. And in the book of Galatians here, it's, it's exactly what Christ talked about. It's really the only way that we could be right before God is through Jesus Christ. And that's because, first of all, Christ is our substitute. Christ is our substitute. Matter of fact, Peter says this. This is in 1 Peter 3.18. For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God. So Christ suffered in our spot. And so when you think about uh, this, what what the gospel is, that that Christ left heaven and, and he came down and he died in my spot. He was my substitute. I'm over here and I am a sinner. I am separated from God. This could be God's side over here and this could be my side over here, the sinful side. And and God and Jesus Christ left and he lived under the law and he died in my place. Matter of fact, this is exactly what Paul was talking about in Galatians 3.13. If you still have Galatians 3 open there, it says this, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. He is our substitute. There's a second thing that is true about God's love and putting our faith and trust in Christ, and that is Christ is our righteousness. And Paul says this in 2 Corinthians 5, 21, for our sake he made him, that is God made Christ to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. And so again, this is how this idea works, this this gospel, this exchange. And so Jesus Christ, he comes down and he lives in my place under the law, completely righteous, though I am not righteous, I am a sinner. And he dies in my place as a substitute. Now, all of that would be good, but what if it wasn't made available? And that's where this unconditional promise comes in because the bible also reveals to us that god is gracious that god is gracious and so god already had a plan to fix the problem with sin god is gracious and he has offered salvation as a gift this is what god has offered us or god has offered you in john 1 12 But all who did receive him, who believed in his name, 
he gave gave the right to become children of God. Notice, all we have to do is accept it by faith. We don't have to go to church every, every Sunday. Now, the Bible encourages you to go to church every Sunday. That says it's the right thing to do. But after salvation, if we are on vacation and we don't go to church, we don't lose our salvation. All right? There's people here that have been here for a long time, and they're members. And there's people who have been here for a long time, and they're not members. But if you're not a member, it doesn't make you not a Christian. All right? Because our Christianity is found in Christ, not in membership to a church. And so really, as we think about this unconditional promise given to us, that it's not anything that we do to earn it in the past. It's nothing that we do to keep it into the future. All we do is by faith, believe it. And so just as God gave a a promise to Abraham, and Abraham, all he had to do was believe it, the same thing is true for us. Matter of fact, in Acts, we have the uh, Philippian uh, jailer. Here we have Paul and, and Silas, and they've been thrown in, in prison, and something mir- miraculous happens, and, and uh, the, the, the jailer actually thinks that everyone has escaped, and so he's ready to kill himself to spare his family, and uh, everyone is still found in their, in their jail cells. And so uh, we find that the Philippian jailer asks this. This is in Acts 16, 30 and 31. And he's talking to Paul and Silas here. And he says, sirs, what must I do to be saved? And I want to give you what Paul and Silas says. And they said, this is Paul and Silas says, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved you and your household. And so this was not only offered to that Philippian jailer, it was also offered to all of his households. And truly the gospel is is not just uh, for people in the Bible. It's not just for pastors like me. The gospel is available to everyone who will accept it. And so God is holy, which means that he cannot tolerate sin. God is just, which means that he cannot overlook our sin. But God is also loving. He provided a way for us to have a relationship with him. And he is is gracious that he has made that a gift for us. Because he could have provided a way, and we could have never made it. He could have said, the only way to have a relationship with me is to keep the Ten Commandments to the T. If you ever lust after something, you're out. He could have. But he, was a, but he is a gracious God and that he gives it as a free gift. And so really Paul kind of gets to this point in, in Romans uh, 6.23 when he says this, For the wages of sin is death. That is the bad news. That is because God is holy and just. But then right in the middle of that verse we have a but. But the free gift of God, that is that unconditional gift offered to you by God, is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. It is a free gift. And so as we dive into Galatians, the second part of Galatians chapter 3, we need to first stop and consider what is this 
unconditional gift that God has given to us. And you say, okay, I, I understand. Okay, I understand that God is holy and God is just, that God is loving and God is gracious. But, but how do I accept? How did Abraham accept? How did you accept this free gift? Well, there are three parts to saving faith. Number one, there has to be understanding. All right, when, when God told Abraham, this is what I'm going to do, Abraham understood it. Matter of fact, as they enter Canaan, God says a little bit later on here, in, in, not here, but in um, uh, Genesis chapter 12, a little bit later on, they enter Canaan, and uh, God says, Abraham, look at all of this. This is all for, you, uh, for your offspring. Paul's actually about to get into that. We're not going to get into it this morning. You'll have to come back. If you're visiting here today and you're like, where are we going with this? You just got to come back, all right? So we're going to end off in a cliffhanger. You got to come back and find out. But Paul gives us, first of all, that, or the Bible gives us, first of all, that understanding. Abraham had understanding. I have presented what we need to know, all right? We understand. Number two, the second thing is, that we have to agree. Because I can tell you something, and you could understand what I say, and you could say this, I don't agree. I don't agree that, that either salvation is only through Christ, or I don't agree there's even a God. So there's a way in which we say, I agree or I disagree. And so the second part is that we must agree. First, understand. Second, we must agree with what God has said. The last part of saving faith is trust or dependence. And so it's not enough for us to say, I am a Christian because I believe there's a God. Because then you don't understand why we deserve hell, why we deserve to be separated from God, and we don't understand what God has done for us. And maybe you don't even agree that you are a sinner. But those are the things that we must agree to. And then that very last thing is that we must depend. That is saving faith. It is that three parts. Understand, agree, depend. Or some people say understand, agree, receive. It is trusting in that truth. And so really when that happens, this is, this is the exchange that happens. This is the unconditional promise. And so Jesus Christ, he comes down, he lives in my spot, he is my righteousness, he is my substitute because he died in my spot. And this is me, I am on this side, I am separated from God because of my sin, because again, God is holy and just. But then when I place my faith and trust, when I, by faith, believe that I am a sinner and that Jesus Christ is that answer, and I put my faith and trust in Jesus Christ, the Bible says that my sin has been, is placed upon him or that he died for my sin. And his righteousness is placed upon me. Now, when God sees me, he no longer sees John a sinner. Instead, what he sees is Jesus Christ in his righteousness. He no longer sees my sin because my sin has already been dealt with on the cross. Christ was my substitute. Instead, what God sees is me pure and righteous. 
Again, not because I am pure and righteous, because Pastor Schmidt, Pastor John Schmidt is still a sinner. But when God sees me, he sees me through Jesus Christ. And all I have to do is believe this. All I have to do is believe that Jesus Christ, he came and he lived and he died and he was buried and that he rose again. And all I have to do is all I have to do is believe that. There's nothing I have to do prior to that. There's nothing I have to do after that. All I have to do is believe that and accept that. And then I become a child of God. And that's actually what we're going to see today. And so uh, right after this, we're going to see baptism. And a baptism is a picture of what someone has already believed in their heart. And so really, this is what baptism is, and, and you're going to see it in just a second here, that really baptism is saying this, I want everybody to know today that I believe that Jesus Christ died for me. That's the picture of going underneath the water, that he was buried, but he didn't stay dead. He rose again. And that's the picture that we're going to see three times today which is the fact that I believe Jesus Christ died for me, was buried, and rose again. And in the same way, I was dead in my trespasses and sins, but I am made alive in Christ. That is the unconditional promise that God has given to you. Not because you have earned it, not because you keep it, but because God has offered to you a free gift. All we have to do is accept it by faith. And I know from the three people that will be baptized today, if you're here today and you've never made that decision, and maybe you are uh, new to our church, maybe you're new to this idea of the gospel, I know the three individuals today that are getting baptized would want you also to believe and receive. Let's go ahead and pray. Lord, we do thank you for uh, the gospel. We thank you for this unconditional promise which you have given to us. It's not something that we earn and it's not something that we keep. Just like Abraham did not earn that Abrahamic covenant, he did not keep the Abrahamic covenant. Matter of fact, as you think about Abraham and his life, there were many times in which he showed to be unfaithful uh, to God, that he did not show that faith. And yet, Lord, you kept that promise to him. And Lord, in our own lives as Christians, we did not earn this gift given to us, Jesus Christ. And even after salvation, we still, we still make mistakes. But Lord, thank you that, that our relationship with you is not based upon our righteousness, but our relationship with you is based upon Christ's righteousness. And so Lord, I thank you that Christ did in fact come. He did in fact die in our place. He was, in fact, buried, and he did, in fact, rise again so that we would know that he was exactly who he said he was, as well as we would know one day that we will have a resurrection. And so, Lord, thank you for this promise that you have given to us. Lord, if there is someone here that has never accepted that life-giving promise, that free gift offered to them by faith, I pray that maybe today would be that day in Jesus' name. Amen.